This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. by the Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60! To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! What is up and welcome into another and a final pre-2023 Saints training camp edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. I'm going to be your solo host today as we get ready for the start of training camp on Wednesday. The Saints veterans have started to report. I don't think they all technically have to report until tomorrow, but they're getting into town. They're showing their face, and it's exciting to see. There have been a few developments in terms of the Saints over the last couple days, but nothing spectacular. We'll go through who's on the NFI list, who's on the pup list, one coaching edition. But then the crux of this episode will be I want to break down the top three UDFAs to watch and why on the offense and the defense. We'll do the offense in the first segment, the defense in the final segment. And then the second segment, we will have an interview that I was able to do last week with Ross Tucker, Odyssey NFL insider, former NFL lineman. It's really great. You can catch him on the Ross Tucker podcast. But first things first, I don't think we got into it in either of last week's episodes. So let's just start with there's a few Saints players on the non-football injury list. None of those injuries seem significant in that I don't expect these players to miss much time, if any time. So the players on the non-football injury list, Shaq Davis, A.T. Perry, both wide receivers, and running back Kendra Miller. It's a little unclear as to what the non-football injuries are. I believe that Kendra's injury will be going back to his TCU injury because while it was a football game that he was hurt in, technically it is a non-football injury because in this case, football injury means specifically with your current NFL team. So he could be playing football on a field by himself and he gets hurt. That's still a non-football injury in this sense. A little confusing, but that's what it is. The other three players to watch on the physically unable to perform list, these are all guys who were hurt for camp. So you have Miller Forrestal, Anthony Johnson, Nick Saldaveri. It's possible more guys get added to this before the start of camp. Obviously, these guys are reporting on Monday and Tuesday. They're getting some of their physicals done. And that's when you'll find out whether there's anyone else added, whether anyone else got hurt in the offseason. But for now, as long as it stays quiet, that's great, and you don't have to worry about anything. Mike Thomas hasn't appeared on this list yet. You know, Benjamin hasn't appeared on this list yet. So those are two that you would hope to see after they did not work 
out at camp. So we'll really find out on Wednesday when we go out there and take attendance who is available, who is not. I think you'll start to see some people, you'll start to see some players work off to the side as they work their way back. So that's going to be something we can start tracking. The first practice open to fans is on Friday. So that's when you can start personally tracking this. But until then, I'll let you know. Another bit of news, former Pro Bowl guard Trey Turner, New Orleans native, former LSU guy visiting the Saints. So that's going to be one to watch. It's possible they make a signing there prior to training camp or maybe as training camp gets going, you bring him in, you keep him around. But as of right now, he has not signed a contract. This is being recorded on Monday afternoon. So if something breaks after that, don't come at me. That's just how time and the internet works. But there you go. We'll see how that develops. The only other real bit of news reported by Jeff Duncan of NOLA.com that Leroy Glover is going to be a quote-unquote coaching fellow with the Saints this year, kind of like Jari Evans was the assistant offensive line coach intern last year, and now he's on the roster. So these coaches that come in and they can relay information, they do have something of an impact. So it's cool to see. This is a defensive tackle, defensive interior group that is, if anything, you can say unproven. Right with Brian Brzee, Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, Malcolm Roach. Not exactly guys who you look at and be like, oh, stud. Yeah, we're, we're set there. So it's probably a good thing to have an all-time great at the position, kind of just showing them the ropes, giving some insight that he might have that others might not. So it's something to watch. Also have Ted Ginn Jr. is supposed to be out there as well with the wide receivers. So this is something the Saints have clearly made an emphasis on over the last few seasons in terms of bringing in former players, bringing in guys they're familiar with who are familiar with not only the position, but the city, the program, and having them really kind of dive into that. So that's cool to see. But without further ado, let's get into the actual subject of this podcast, which is top UDFAs to watch. And I'm going to start in this segment on the offense. We'll do the defense in the final segment. But the first one, on offense, you know, it, it's kind of weird because there are not a ton of positions to be made on this Saints roster. All that being said, one role that's available, whether it be a, a role that starts out on the practice squad or starts out on the active roster, is that big body wide receiver, right? You've you've seen the Saints have him with little Jordan Humphrey. They brought in Juwan Johnson as a wide receiver for that reason. They really don't have one right now. And I would consider making the roster on the practice squad to be kind of filling that role. And so you have guys like A.T. Perry looking at that job, or you have a guy like Shaq Davis, a SC State guy. He's big, he's strong, he can get down the field. He's going to start on the NFI list. I don't think it's significant. He's a, he's a guy to watch. He's going to be working in probably third-team reps. You're going to see him catching balls from Jake Hayner. He's not going to get work at the top of the rotation, at least not to start. And that's something to track, right? If a guy starts out training camp working with the threes, and then suddenly you see him working with the twos, you're like, okay, he's getting he's getting more run here. And so that's, that's something that Shaq Davis, I think he will stand out right away. He's going to be wearing number 80, and the size is legit. Just a matter, It's just a question of how he can use it. I think A.T. Perry is going to get the kind of head start in that whole position battle because the Saints are going to want to keep around their draft pick if they can. But if he continues to struggle in terms of this contested catch part of the game, there's an opening for Shaq Davis. So that's one to watch. Um, the next one is going to be running back Ellis Merriweather, kid out of UMass. And the reason I have him on my list is I think there's a depth position to be won. 
for running back. It's the same reason, you know, Eno Benjamin is still here. He has a chance, and maybe not to make this roster, but to make the practice squad. And so I think Ellis Merriweather is going to be in competition with a guy like Eno Benjamin because the Saints have to factor in, okay, we're probably going to be without Alvin Kamara for the first six weeks. So everyone moves up a slot, right? And if you were planning to keep three running backs, which is I imagine you were, with Jamal Williams, Alvin Kamara, and Kendra Miller, then you take Alvin Kamara out of that equation for six games, you probably still want to keep a third running back. So who would that be? Would it be Eno Benjamin or would it be Ellis Merriweather? Because those are really the only two options on this list. Now, I fully expect the Saints to bring in a veteran running back at some point throughout camp, if not before camp starts. We saw it last year with Malcolm Brown. If you remember Devontae Freeman, hey, Adrian Peterson. The Saints team loves itself a veteran running back, and I don't think that's going to change. Either way, Ellis will be rocking number 35. He's a big dude, 6'2", 225. He's older out of UMass. He's 24 years old. I think it's just going to be a question, okay, who has the upside? Who has the consistency? Who performs well on special teams? And I think one of Eno Benjamin, Ellis Merriweather, makes this roster, if not the straight 53, they make the practice squad because you do need a third running back. You do need a guy there because if you are planning to be without Alvin, what happens if one of Jamal Williams or Kendra Miller gets hurt? You got to have a backup running back. So it's not a position they are particularly deep at. It's possible that both Eno Benjamin and Ellis Merriweather make it in terms of, okay, maybe Eno makes it on the roster on the, in terms of maybe Eno makes it in the 53 and Ellis makes the practice squad. The other guy to consider would be Kirk Merritt, but I don't think he's going to necessarily factor into your numbers unless he really shows out. I think it's possible that now that the numbers are getting back at running back, you see Kirk switch back over to wide receiver, but that's obviously going to be something to watch. And if he sticks at running back, if he stays working at running back throughout camp, then he's obviously in the mix for that running back spot, and we can kind of shift his position from wide receiver to running back. Either way, that's going to be someone to watch. The final offensive UDFA to watch. And again, this is just UDFAs, guys that you're probably not familiar with that could make an impact. And that's going to be Alex Pilstrom. I know it's not gonna not a name that you're excited about. It's not gonna be someone you necessarily watch closely and say, wow, he looks great. But the Saints don't really have a backup center right now. Because I don't think they want to continue to shift Caesar Ruiz from guard to center every time Eric McCoy goes down. It seems like the last two years you've seen that happen in game, and I think that is still a viable thing that the Saints are expecting, which is Eric McCoy goes down mid-game. Yes, it would be Cesar Ruiz shifting over because you're not ready to do it either way. So at least you have a guy who's in the game because it's just in the flow of the game, it's just going to make more sense. Whereas when you have a full week to prepare, you want a center. You want a guy who's been working at center who can focus on center and you only want to have one person playing out of position if you don't have to have multiple people playing out of position. And by that, I mean, if you move Cesar Ruiz to center, then someone has to fill in at guard. So not only do you have your a backup center, you also have a backup guard. If you were playing Caesar at guard, if Eric McCoy goes down, you replace him, only one person is out of their natural position. Only one starter is out. And so that's why you would do that. So, you know, the Saints brought in Billy Price. He got waived with a non-football injury. So there's not a lot of depth and it's possible that he makes it. So as you're looking at the UDFAs and trying to figure out 
okay, who actually has a chance to make this roster? I'd look at number 65 on the offensive line. If he's the second string center, that's a good sign for him. You have to have a second string guy at every position. Whether he makes the roster, I would expect that he'd make the practice squad and be available to be called up. But I think of all the UDFAs out there, and that includes Mark Evans and includes the other guys, He's the one who I think has the best chance to make it again because center is kind of a specialized position and you've got to figure that out. So there's going to be a handful of guys that you can watch. There's not going to be a lot of roster spots available between them. That changes a bit on the defensive side of the ball. And one of these is effectively a roster battle when we're going to get into it. But let's close out that segment of inside black and gold. We're going through the UDFAs to watch ahead of training camp. On Wednesday, the first two practices are closed to the public. Friday is open to the public. That's the first time fans are going to be out there. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, I'd be surprised if there were any left for the first couple days. But you can try it out, NewOrleansSaints.com. It's always a good time. I've always found that the fans at practices really amps everything up. The players just get into it. It just feels like it ratches everything up a notch. So I really do enjoy the open practices, especially once they get the pads on, which won't be for a couple more days after that. But all right, let's wrap this segment up. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. We're getting you geared up for training camp, which kicks off on Wednesday, July 26th. I'm excited. Who dat? Let's go. We're going to come back with Ross Tucker, Odyssey NFL Insider, diving into some stuff from around the NFL. It's a good time. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Noack coming at you solo. One more episode. Just one, guys. We've got there. We've made it. Training camp starts on Wednesday. This will be the last pre-training camp podcast and then we'll really start to actually have stuff to talk about i'm just excited to have actual stuff to talk about guys i know that everyone wants podcasts over the off season and i i'm more than happy to get them to you but i become painfully aware of how much i've repeated myself and how much of the time i spend talking about stuff that just doesn't matter you know it's fun you go through it we talk about position battles and ranking positions and all this and you know free agents that never come here should the saints trade for this guy a trade they're never gonna make it's all got its time it's all got its space but man (laughs) i just want to talk about football and we finally will have that again as of wednesday we will have mickey loomis talking the day before so there'll be some content out of that but our next podcast will be coming until after the first practice because that's when we're gonna have stuff to tell you and i don't want to throw another just bland podcast at you. This is the last one. I promise. I promise. So with that in mind, we're going to continue our trend of bringing you interviews that we were able to do throughout the week. This is an interview I did with Odyssey NFL insider Ross Tucker. I've said his name so many times. I've almost said Ross Jackson so many times. This is not Ross Jackson. This is Ross Tucker, Odyssey NFL insider, former NFL player, former offensive 
linemen, and we get into a lot of the topics around the NFL right now, particularly what's going on with running backs. You know, it's something the Saints aren't really dealing with closely, but it's something this a lot of the teams the Saints are facing are dealing with. The Giants, you know, if they get to that matchup and the Giants don't have Saquon Barkley because he decides not to play, man, that changes the equation, doesn't it? If you remember that week four game, the Saints lost in the Superdome. Uh, Saquon ate their lunch. So, you know, if suddenly teams just don't have their star running backs, if suddenly the running backs are withholding their services, man, that's going to change a lot of the NFL landscape. It's going to change a lot of matchups. So it's something to consider, even if the Saints aren't actively dealing with it because they did pay Alvin, right? Alvin Kamara isn't one of the players who, who was sitting there saying, man, my team has really screwed me over. He got his deal and the Saints have done good by him, I think, as much as they could. So, you know, if he's not, I, we haven't heard him. He finally got back on social media. He's talking about, you know, whether how much you'd have to get paid to get punched in the face by Mike Tyson and how his mother says his name differently than he does. His mother actually says Kamara, which is, you know, uh, but that was the mind blown emoji. I know over a podcast it might not come, but that's anyway. So we haven't really seen him weigh in beyond retweeting Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey, but it's going to be something that the entire NFL has to reckon with um, in terms of you don't want your star players holding out or holding in and forcing trades because you won't pay them. And that's going to be something that the NFL has to figure out how to navigate. So we get into that. We get into a lot about that. And we also talk about, you know, what sleeper teams are in the NFC, who the Saints could be competing with down the stretch. You think you might be surprised by his pick, who might be a surprise Super Bowl contender. And yeah, so without further ado, here's our interview with Ross Tucker. Enjoy. Ross, how you doing, man? You getting excited for training camp? I am doing awesome. <laughs> and yes, I am way, way more excited for training camp now that I'm in the media than I was as a player. As a player, these were the worst days of the year. I dreaded every second of the impending training camp doom. But as a, a member of the media, yeah, it's kind of fun to get feel like you're getting going again. So I do have one question for you, and I saw you tweet about this. And I just I am curious. So these Madden ratings they come out every year, and everyone kind of reacts to them. As a player, do you do you really care what Madden says about you? From like whether you can kick the ball really hard, even though they have no idea what your actual kick power is, stuff like that. You know what's so interesting about that? I never even paid attention okay. to what my Madden rating was when I was a player, but I actually recently interviewed the guy that's in charge of the Madden ratings. I interviewed him today, and I'm going to play that interview next week on the Ross Tucker (laughs) football podcast. And the players nowadays, it is really important to them. Like, they get really mad about it. I remember maybe my junior year of college, for some reason on the EA College sports game, They had the Ivy League. I went Mm -hmm. to Princeton. My agility was bad, and I just assumed that they got the information from the coaches because I thought, who else would know about the offensive linemen for the Princeton Tigers, right? So I went down to the football office, and I complained. I'm (laughs) like, you guys told them my agility was a 48? Are you kidding me? And they were laughing, and they said they had nothing to do with it. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about that. But the most ironic thing is I waited, like, my whole life to be in a video game like Madden. And then I get to the NFL, I make it, I'm in it, 
And by the time I got to the NFL, I didn't play video games anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, you grow up playing video games in high school, and then even in college, we play video games all the time. And then, and we would talk about, can you imagine being in it? Can you imagine actually being in it? And then I'm in it in the NFL, and you know, younger kids are telling me how cool it is. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I have a job now. I got to pay bills. I don't really play video games. I'm sure there is a sense of pride in it. But speaking about guys who do have high agility grades and high Madden grades is, you know, the running backs across the NFL that are struggling to get paid. And, you know, we put out an episode of a podcast, I think I titled it, Why Does the NFL Hate Running Backs? And I don't know if that's necessarily the way to look at it, but it does seem like there is kind of an apathy toward protecting running backs with long-term contracts, knowing that it is such a high volatility position and you know what is your kind of read on that situation a guy like Saquon Barkley maybe holding out from training camp because he couldn't work out a long-term deal he's what 26 years old it seems crazy but that's where we are at the end in the NFL right now well so I think what has happened is most of the recent deals that have been done big money deals for running backs the teams have regretted it because the player has either gotten injured or significantly declined quickly. You know, you think of Todd Gurley, you think of Zeke Elliott. And so I think in a lot of these cases, even star players, really good players, the teams have kind of regretted those contracts. Now, the flip side is I don't think the Titans regret the Derrick Henry contract. I don't think the Browns regret the Nick Chubb contract. I don't know. You guys have to tell me about the Saints and Kamara. It's a little bit different now that he's suspended. But up until this point, I think they've gotten a pretty good return on that investment from him. And there are still some really smart people that highly value running backs. I mean, even just for the Raiders and the and the Giants to pay Saquon and Jacobs or the Cowboys, Tony Pollard, $10 million for one year shows that they still value the position. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay a guy. 10 million bucks for one year. Um, so they still care about that position. And really smart football guys like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay both tried to trade for Christian McCaffrey in his contract. And the Niners ended up getting him. But, you know, don't tell the Niners fans or Browns fans or Titans fans or even Saints fans that running backs don't make a difference in the outcome of games because it's pretty clear to me that. Kamara has over the last few years. Yeah, to me, I think even even more beyond running backs, because I think there is a fair point to be made that later in a running back's career, when you're hit the 27, 28, 29, it does become difficult to sign someone to a long-term deal where you have to trust them. But to me, the question is, is the franchise tag system fair to the running back position, particularly first-round running backs? Because one of the reasons Alvin Kamara was able to secure his deal, he was a third-round pick. He didn't have that first or that team option for that fifth year, so they had to figure something out in that fifth year when he's still a year younger, and there's less tread on the tires, and I think you are a little more comfortable giving out that five-year deal, which is what he got. I, I think, to me, that's the biggest question, is how do you make that system equitable where you're Saquon Barkley you might not hit free agency until your seventh year, right? You get that four-year contract, fifth-year option, that first year of the franchise tag, which is this year, and then next year they'd have to pay through the nose, but they might still do it. And it's, that, that, to me, is the bigger, the bigger issue. If you're a first-round running back, you really kind of get hosed. Well, listen, I mean, there's nothing stopping the Giants from tagging him for $12 million next year right. 
And so then Saquon would have to go seven years before he hits free agency. That is infuriating to me as a former player. My whole career was seven years. Seven years is twice the average. The average for guys that make a roster is like three and a half years, and Saquon has to do twice that potentially to be able to hit the open market. That really bugs me. You know, this isn't baseball. And by the way, he wasn't even allowed to go to the NFL until after his third year. He easily could have gone after his second year at Penn State, right, and started this clock earlier. To me, it it, it, honestly, it's anti-American. It bothers me. Now, look, you know, it's a collectively bargained agreement. The owners got it in at one point. It became something that the players didn't think it was going to be. It felt it was going to be just for, like, being able to keep your franchise quarterback and pay him more than anybody else. And now it's like the franchise tag number has gone down recently. With the way the salary cap has gone up, there is no way the franchise tag number should be going down. And and the reality is, guys, I talked about this this week on social media at Ross Tucker NFL and on my show, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, running backs need to hold in Mm -hmm. after their third year like Zeke Elliott did. And what I mean by that is you're still under contract. You know, nowadays there's an automatic $50,000 fine if you miss any day of training camp. So you go to training camp, and then the first day, you know, maybe your hamstring gets a little bit tight or maybe your back's a little bit sore. And you you withhold your services until they give you a deal that, that's fair because those teams don't want to play games without these guys. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because C.J. Gardner-Johnson did that exact thing last year during camp and then got traded to the Eagles. So it does work. It absolutely works. And got you know, Jalen Ramsey got traded from the Jaguars to the Rams. They got a huge contract from the Rams by doing it. It does work. And, you know, every once in a while when I mention this, fans will say it's, you know, it's immoral, it's unethical. That makes me laugh. I mean – You'll never get one current or former player to say that because we all have a million stories of the teams doing whatever they can to get out of paying guys any dollar amount. So I guess, Ross, I guess my question would be for you. I, I kind of, I absolutely agree with the point about the franchise tag, and I, I think it is kind of infuriating that Saquon Barkley has to wait that long to potentially enter free agency. But how do you revise it? Like, can you do you just try and get rid of it altogether, or is there a way that it can be fixed without getting rid of it? No, I don't think you can revise it, and I don't think they're going to. And I'll tell you why: because there's over two thousand players in the NFL. When you consider the practice squad now and guys on IR and all that stuff, and the union is made up of, like, out of those 2,000, 1,900, definitely 1,800, but 1,900 would never get franchise tagged. And so the last thing they're going to give up is something else they could get in the negotiation with the league so that the rich guys that get franchise tagged don't have to complain about that. 19, you know, 95% of the guys in the NFL would would cry tears of joy if they got franchise tagged. I mean, if I got franchise tagged, I would have run to the facility as fast as I could (laughs) 
and I punched the guy in the face and signed it as fast as I possibly could before somebody took it away from me. You know, that's the thing I feel like that, that people lose sight of sometimes is that for the vast majority of NFL players, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that would never, ever affect them. And so they're not, that's not an issue that the Players Association is going to be able to rally around on. No, I mean, like, you look at a guy like Kirk Cousins, I think he got franchise tagged twice, but, I mean, he made, I think, well, what was it, $23 million on that second franchise tag and then still signed that lucrative contract. The issue is the running backs is their careers just don't last that long. Um, but, you know, when you when you kind of just shift gears to another guy who was a cost-cutting type player this year with DeAndre Hopkins, I do kind of find it amusing that he went and signed with the Titans because that seems to be kind of the, the island of – misfit wide receivers who just go there and get that picture in the Titans jersey I think so Julio Jones last year Randy Moss I think I'm missing one uh but this year it's DeAndre Johnson Johnson. that's the one um (laughs) what are your expectations for DeAndre because I do think that he is at a point in his career where he is Got, got more tread left on the tires than those three guys we mentioned. And the Saints obviously face him week one. So what are some of your expectations for DeAndre down in Tennessee? Well, so first of all, you know, he did the right thing in my mind. I mean, I know a lot of people were saying, go to the Chiefs or go to the Bills and mm-hmm. win a Super Bowl. Well, first of all, the Bills have only even been to one AFC championship game in the five years Josh Allen has been the starting quarterback. So, to think if I go there, they're going to win the Super Bowl, man, you you got to think pretty highly of yourself. And the Chiefs, I mean, it's been 20 years since somebody repeated, right? So, like, the odds of that, not real good for the Chiefs at all. So, and by the way, that sounds good until you realize how hard it is to pick the team that's actually going to win the Super Bowl and how close those playoff games. And also, if you're DeAndre Hopkins, are you going to take less than a third of the money that Odell Beckham Jr. got from being Odell Beckham Jr. didn't play a snap last year. You're not going to take less than a third of that. So he went to a team where there's no state income tax. Nashville is an awesome city, much like New Orleans. And here's the thing. He got paid well, and with incentives I think he can reach, he'll get more than Odell. But also he went to a team that I think has a great chance to win that division. I mean, I don't think the Colts are going to be great with a rookie quarterback. Same with the Texans, rookie quarterback. So then it becomes the Jaguars or the Titans. And, I mean, Mike Vrabel and the Titans are probably thinking, well, listen, we almost won the division last year without Tannehill. I mean, we had Joshua Dobbs a week (laughs) off the couch come in here and we had the lead in the fourth quarter against the Jaguars. If Tannehill's healthy, and with DeAndre Hopkins, we win this division. I guess my question is, is, is Ryan Tannehill that guy? Because they, they obviously love to draft that third-round quarterback. They took Malik Willis. It seems like they're kind of out on him. Now they're on Will Levis. Is, is Ryan Tannehill going to get a chance in that job, or are they kind of just trying to find his replacement? Well, so this is the last year that he has guaranteed money right. in his deal. And so they, I think they probably would have been willing to trade him, but they couldn't find a taker. I think that they probably are going to, you know, they realize they're going to move on from him after this season. So they wanted to kind of get the heir apparent waiting in the wings 
and that is exactly what Will Levis represents. And most people, I think, thought Levis certainly needed some time before he'd be ready to go. So to me, I feel like it makes perfect sense. You know, you have Tannehill for one more year. They got a, a kind of a rebuilt offensive line, a young offensive line. I think that O-line, you know, Tannehill will get the ball out quickly. I think they have success this year. Wouldn't be surprised if they win the division. And then, look, if Tannehill lights it up, you can keep him, you can keep him for another year. If not, and you transition to Levis in year two. All right, so, so Ross, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, but we're going to go for it. You know, it seems in the NFL every year there is one team maybe or more that kind of just comes out of nowhere and surprises people and gets to the playoffs. If you had to pick a team that people might not be on the lookout for right now that could be that team, who would it be? Well, so the team that I think could come out of nowhere and make a run for, like, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. is the Detroit Lions. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that they're considered coming out of nowhere for the playoffs this year after winning nine games last year, including that last one against the Packers. But I, I could see the Lions coming out of nowhere and 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 making a run, a deep run in the playoffs. I guess the team out of nowhere to make the playoffs would be the Atlanta Falcons. You know, they've won seven games the last couple of years with a pretty terrible roster. I mean, really bad. And last year, they did not get very good quarterback play from Mariota. Maybe their best skill position guy, Kyle Pitts, was hurt. And they still won seven games. And by the way, they only had two guys on defense that you could even name. And I know you guys are on there with them, and people won't be happy to hear this, <laughs> but now they have B. John Robinson. They'll get Pitts back. You know, they actually brought some guys in on defense, Calais Campbell, some Saints, like – on Yamada, I, I, I think Atlanta's got a great chance to win that division. In fact, I think, you know, it's, it, it's going to be – I could see any of those teams win the division. I think Tampa probably lasts for me. But I think it's Atlanta and New Orleans are going to be battling it out for the NFC South. Ross, kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum from Jeff's question, I think that it's also kind of interesting with overturn, there's always a couple teams that disappoint, right? So looking at last season, teams that made the playoffs, maybe even won their division, come into the season with high expectations, maybe looking at double-digit wins, which of those teams flops this upcoming season? Yeah, it's probably an AFC team, just because of how tough the AFC is. You know, I could see that. I could see it being the Niners in the NFC with their quarterback situation if Purdy's not able to play. Um, in the AFC, you know, it could be the Buffalo Bills simply because of just how good that division is. You know, I mean, the, the division is just the Dolphins are loaded. You know, the Jets with Rodgers are really good. I could see the Bills, you know, potentially being third in that division and maybe not even making the playoffs. That would that would be a surprise. One of the things that surprised me, I was look, I was kind of doing just kind of going through and looking at all the running backs. The Bills' running back tandem is Damian Harris and Latavius Murray. That doesn't exactly, you know, we talk about people not being able to pay star running backs. The Bills aren't even trying. But thanks so much for the time, Ross. It was very insightful and uh, enjoy enjoy training camp as you get to watch it as a media member. Sounds great. See you guys. Thanks, man. And thanks so much again to Ross Tucker for coming on the pod and WWL radio a lot of good insight there 
I did think it was very funny how he went to his former strength and conditioning staff and was like, hey, why did you tell Madden I had terrible agility? And they said, we didn't. They guess. And that's, you know, uh, Charlie Long is our producer. You've heard him on the pod before. He gets so annoyed every time I bring up Madden rankings because it's just a waste of time. And it sure is. But the players, they do care. And it is funny because... It's not based on anything. There is no basis in terms of, oh, man, they watched him run the 40 and they did this. They watched every snap of him, uh, his rookie season, and they came up with this, you know, strength grade. It's so arbitrary. And, <laughs> and it is. But it's you know, like I said, it's the offseason. We got to have something to talk about. So, again, I think thanks for Ross for coming on. I thought you had a lot of interesting things to say. And so let's wrap up this segment. We're coming back with the defensive side of the equation to answer the question, who are the top UDFAs to watch slash have the best chance to make the roster because that's the real question. Who of these UDFAs is an actual threat to make the roster? There are a lot of UDFAs out there and you're going to kind of get to know them over the next month or so, but there are different levels of, of who you're watching that you don't know and who you're watching that you don't really need to know. And I, I don't want that to be, sound offensive to anybody. They're all working hard. They're all trying to get a job. But there are some who are a lot closer to that. And that's who we're going to be breaking down. We broke down the top three on the offensive side, which was Shaq Davis, Ellis Merriweather, and Alex Pilstrom, at least to me. And now we're going to be going into the defensive side. So stick around for that on Inside Black and Gold. segment here on this final pre-2023 training camp edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter, or I guess it's called X now. Just at Jeff underscore Nowak. You know, if you you get there before the entire thing implodes, you can follow me and DMs are open. So um, (laughs) I don't know if we'll have to be finding a new place to to send you to, 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 to communicate with us before long, but it sure feels like it because that's getting run to the ground, but that's another story for another day. Today's story, this final segment, we are going to be diving into the top UDFAs to watch on the defensive side of the ball. And there are a few more positions to be able to consider on the defensive side than the offensive side, because I think a lot of the starting jobs and backup jobs and backup jobs are pretty much locked in or at least close to it. On the defensive side, there's a bigger question. And so the first UDFA that I'm going to mention is one none of us have seen yet, and it's defensive back Anthony Johnson. He's going to start on the physically unable to perform list. Hopefully he can get back. But I do think it's telling that Anthony has been dealing with an injury throughout minicamp, and they kept him around, right? Like, I I get it. He's not going to take up a roster spot as long as he's on the physically unable to perform list. But they clearly like something that he is able to do. He's a bigger corner. He's about 6'2", 205 pounds out of Virginia. I think that he just has the intangibles that this team likes. And I think that he could end up being, I've talked about this before, the PJ is a position that I have named after PJ Williams, who is no longer around. But I think this is a Saints team that values positional flexibility. And I think they'll want to have a defensive back, if not on the roster, on the practice squad, who can kick outside and play corner or kick inside and play nickel or sit back and play safety. And I think that he probably has the 
flexibility to do that. Now, that's just really a guess because I have not seen him on the field in person, but hopefully whatever injury he's dealing with, he can get over it because I think he's going to be a guy that's that'll be interesting to watch. The Saints don't have any real depth concerns at cornerback. So that's why, you know, it's like I'm not really talking about him as, oh, okay, he's going to really be a threat at cornerback, but he needs to be of impact on special teams. Whoever makes the the roster past those top four corners of Alante Taylor, Marshawn Lattimore, Paulson Adebo, and Bradley Roby, going to have to be an impact on special teams. But I think if you can prove you are, you are, I think if you can prove that you have that flexibility, you have a much better shot of making this roster in some form. So Anthony Johnson, if you end up seeing. Anthony out there in number 36. Take a good look at him. I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there kind of warming up off to the side the way Rashid Jaheed did last year when he was coming back, but he's going to be one to watch. The other two guys are healthy. The first being former Tulane linebacker, hometown favorite, Nick Anderson. Now, I've talked about Nick. I think his stock has dipped a bit from where it was prior to minicamp and OTAs just because I don't think we have seen him cover the way that an undersized linebacker has to be able to cover. Because as an undersized linebacker, you're basically in the same range as a box safety, right? Like think about Landon Collins. Like like that's the type of player or that type of impact you're going to be expected to have or have to have to make a roster. And I think that he has to improve his coverage ability. Now, if he can do that, if he can shine in coverage throughout camp and he can really kind of force himself into that conversation, I think he has a chance to make it. But I think it's more likely he ends up on the practice squad. And this next guy, I've been talking about this guy a lot since day one. You know, I think he's become a bit more popular as OTAs have gone on. Um, Anthony Orgy, linebacker out of Vanderbilt, probably should have been drafted. Question for him is coverage too, but it's 6'2", 230, but it's 6'2", compared to 5'11", right? You have a bit more range in terms of what you can reasonably be expected to be, right? Anthony is a player who could theoretically play Sam. He has the size to play Sam if you need him. I think he has a he has the skill set to play the mic if you wanted him to. I think DeMarco Jackson is going to be in that role. So you're looking at a guy to back up Pete Warner. And right now, I would expect Anthony Orgy to be that guy. Now, when you see him out there, and I've said this before, but you will be just shocked at how how NFL ready he appears to be from a physical perspective. His legs are the size of tree trunks. It's crazy how big his legs are. And when you're going to see Nick Anderson in number 40 standing next to Anthony Orgy in number 58, they're going to look like they play two separate positions. And so that's why I think he has the inside track in that when you have the stereotypical build for a linebacker, it's going to be easier for you to get a job as long as you do the job. So that's kind of where I'm looking at him. But I like Nick Anderson. I think Nick Anderson has a lot of fans. I'm rooting for Nick Anderson the same way I'm rooting for Tajay Spears to to have a good year with the Titans, right? I'm not going to be rooting for him week one when he shows up, but I'm rooting for him generally speaking. But the Saints, and I've said this before, and I need people to understand it. I don't know how else I could say it. The Saints are not going to be influenced in terms of, wow, he went to Tulane and he's people are excited about him, so we're going to keep him around. They're going to take the best player. They're going to find the best player, and they're going to refine the best player. And 
I think right now you're looking at a guy who can be a volume tackler in Anthony Orgy, and you're looking at Nick Anderson who probably needs a year minimum development before you trust him in any significant role. So that's where I'm at. But there are some other interesting names, so I'll just go through them now. Jerron Cage, defensive tackle. He's going to be interesting. He's out of Ohio State. The Saints love them, some Ohio State players. And I think defensive tackle is a thin position, right? You have Brian Brzee, you have Nathan Shepard, Colin Saunders, Malcolm Roach, but no one really screaming, okay, I cannot be unseated. So if Jerron comes out and looks great, fantastic. Mark Evans, offensive tackle option. I think he's going to have a hard time cracking that nut at offensive tackle because you have backups. You have starters. You have backups. How many do you need? Right? I think the interior line is a bigger question in terms of the depth with Saldaveri and James Hurst can be that swing guy. So who were you really looking at? But I think Landon Young uh, is the backup right tackle. I don't understand. I don't see why you would change course now. So I, I, I think Mark Evans is going to have a hard time uh, cracking that nut. The obvious one that is left off here is Blake Groupie. The kicker, he's going to compete with Will Lutz. I think that is very much a competition. But if, I, I, if, I, if I'm being honest, I cannot in good conscience tell you that you should be excited to go watch the kickers in camp. I mean, I'm rooting. I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see who wins that. But it's not exactly appointment viewing. So we'll see. I, I think that Blake Group is going to have a very difficult time unseating Will. The one that nobody's talking about that I think we probably should be talking about a bit more is Lou Headley versus Blake Gillikin. Because he Blake is on a one-year deal. I don't think he had a particularly good year last year. And Lou has been booming it. He's an intriguing guy. He's out of Miami with full body tattoos. He's got that rock star punter thing going on. I don't think Blake is concrete in that job. And if he struggles, if he continues to not necessarily look like that dynamic punter that we saw two years ago, and Lou does, I think it's possible. I do. I think it is possible that the Saints make a change at punter. This isn't Thomas Morstead, right? This isn't a guy who you know, that you drafted and as a rookie helped you win a Super Bowl, right? Like you are not as beholden to Blake Gillikin as you are, as you were to Morstead and you let Morstead go for Gillikin. So this is a team that is looking for an advantage at punter and if they can save money, which I think they would here to some small extent, just saying, I don't think it is set in stone that Blake Gillikin is that punter. All right, there's one other DB worth watching, Adrian Fry out of Texas Tech, six foot, 205, kind of like Anthony Johnson. I think he's a guy you could see competing, but you'll have to wait and see. And I think at the end of the day, you're not going to spend a lot of time watching these UDFAs anyway, because this is not a team that you're going to see three or four UDFAs make the roster, right? This is a team where you might see one. There is a chance no UDFAs make the roster. And that would happen, in my opinion, if the Saints bring in a veteran linebacker and keep him over Anthony Orgy and Nick Anderson and whoever else, because I just don't see another position that you're like desperately, okay, we're going to keep this guy around. Maybe backup center, but again, that's a guy you could throw on the practice squad knowing that in a game, Caesar could take over and then you could go from there. It's what the Saints did last year with Josh Andrews. But we'll have to wait and see. I'm going to update my roster projection after the first week of camp, after we get a good look at the first team, second team, third teams. But for now, I'm sticking with it. I will have to make at least one change because I was under the impression that Billy Price was going to fight for that spot. Eh, that changed, so I'm going to have to make a change there. But otherwise, let's get ready. Training camp starts on Wednesday. I am 
pumped about it. I'm pumped to see y'all out there on Friday for the first day of open practice. If, if y'all are out there and you see me, I'll be the one sweating profusely. That's not a great description because everyone will be sweating profusely. But if you see me, make sure to say hi. I love talking to y'all. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to growing this podcast throughout this second year. We have officially made it one year or it will be official in August because I think we started this the second week of camp uh, last year. So it's cool that we've made it all the way around the sun and we're going to keep trying to grow it. So if you have any suggestions, you have any comments, you want to get a hold of me for whatever reason, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. DMs are open. You can also follow us on YouTube. Leave us a comment there at WWL Sports. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. And yeah, I'm excited to share more content with you. I don't think I will be posting camp videos to my personal Twitter account this year because I am going to start to phase out Twitter. But I will start using the show account and I'm going to start throwing stuff probably on threads just to see what happens there. But stay tuned for that. We will still be posting the highlight videos to YouTube. So again, if you don't follow us there, that's where you'll be able to find those full highlight videos. And I say highlights. They only let us record for about the first 30 minutes of practice. They don't let us record team drills, but they sh- they do let us record one-on-ones, and those are exciting. Hopefully, we get back to that. So keep an eye out for those. I'm looking forward to getting you all the content uh, that, that y'all are excited about. And again, as always, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for chiming in. Thanks, everyone, who's left a review. If you haven't done that, please do over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And until the next time, y'all, I appreciate all of you. Who dat? Go Saints. Woo! Inside black and gold.